leaves on the grass The lunatic is on the grass all right, we're running a bit short on time for our final segment here, but let's just let's just talk about uh, environmental stuff as we go out. We mentioned the Newsweek article last June, noting that the recession's green lining was that the global downturn may be doing what activists couldn't, which is to say, close dirty factories. We cited the fact that Lake Baikal, Lake Baikal, the jewel of Siberia, may have to depend on tourism rather than pulp plants and polluting industries, which would be a wonderful thing for that part of the world. And that Newsweek article is somewhat embellished by uh, a piece in The Economist in July, noting that uh, as we're trying to rebalance the world economy, the question was being asked, well, can America wean itself off consumption? Yes, The Economist, that noted left-wing publication, was started a four-part series on how the world's four biggest economies must change to ensure sustainable global growth. Meanwhile, over in China, an article by Jonathan Ansfield uh, last month in the New York Times noted that uh, with the downturn in the economy, the Chinese are uh, scaling back their environmental reforms, and we may see a swing to being more polluted as, uh, you know, the cleanup is put on hold. Not too good here at home either. Sacramento Bee article, Sunday, August 30th, about a farmer, a rancher out in Sierra Valley, like to continue living the lifestyle that he has enjoyed. The article notes that it's hard to resist developers um, to preserve a way of life as the economy is in the dumpster. Talking about a farmer named Davy Coachea, he wasn't interested in selling his 320-acre Loyalton ranch. And he resorted to a state law that protects farms and ranches from annexation, eminent domain, and other development demands. Developers thought he was just holding on to make more dough, but he wasn't. A lot of ranchers and farmers are being pressured to sell their land to developers. They're turned to, to, to turning to conservation easements and state conservation laws to help keep their land in agriculture. This is something we need. Having watched personally what developers did to the East Bay as I grew up, well, it's an ugly business. On future installments of the show, we're going to talk again about what it is you individually, and we, I guess you should say individually, can do to make the world a better place. And it may be time, unfortunately, to take a look at uh, going vegetarian. Last winter, Elke Stefhast of the Netherlands Environmental Assessment Agency and colleagues uh, totaled up what the world might save uh, if we stopped eating beef burgers and bacon. Well, here's a number that'll blow your hair back. Apparently, we could wipe out $20 trillion from the cost of fighting global change. Their calculations were based on reducing individual meat intake to 70 grams of beef or pork a week. And for those metrically challenged, a quarter pounder is 133 grams of beef. But they calculate this would create a carbon sink in the form of 15 million square kilometers of abandoned farmland. Greenhouse gas emissions would also fall by 10% due to the drop in livestock. Noted the researchers, all this would lessen the need for technologies such as clean, <laughs> supposed clean coal. That's a hoax. Also other power plants while saving huge, huge sums of money. Eating local is a good idea. We've talked about that with Michael Pollan. 
Solar cookers are an issue we've been meaning to talk about for, I don't know, two years on this program. May not be that applicable here in America, but in the third world, especially when they've got good solar resources, this could make a tremendous savings in, uh, in loss of, uh, of, of trees and brush in areas that are already marginally from an environmental standpoint. Uh, how about victory gardens? World War II idea that could be recycled. A lot of people living in urban areas are planting gardens. That's a good idea. And as we're going along, we need better psychology and probably better mathematics. We quoted a piece uh, last spring noting how cooking of red meat is known to produce carcinogenic compounds, and researchers at the National Cancer Institute in Maryland uh, suggested that people really need to uh, cut back on red meat. Referencing that famous quote, I think it was from Benjamin Disraeli, that there were three types of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. There's a great piece in the Week magazine last February about how even uh, even doctors who who should know better were not very good at analyzing mathematical information. In fact, as we close, let, let's go out with this little test. We had a medical test that was 90% accurate at picking people who have a disease and 97% and 93% accurate at excluding those who did not. What are the odds if someone you know turned positive on the test that they would have the disease? If you said 90%, go to the rear of the class. The key data here is how prevalent is the condition. In an example given, if 0.8% of the population actually has the disease, then a random person having a positive test means he's got a 1 in 11 chance of actually being positive. If doctors who have to take classes in statistics, trust me on this one, I'm missing the boat. One, one does despair for the general population, but we're going to return to that topic and do what we can in our own small way to try and correct this. But to go back to the study about how red meat is harmful, the raw data, for example, that an extra ounce of bacon a day increases the risk of colorectal cancer by 20%, and thus prompted some to say, just give it up, could be framed a different way. Since about five men in 100 typically get colorectal cancer in a lifetime, if each of the hundred ate an extra couple of slices of bacon every day, instead of five dying from colorectal cancer over a lifetime, six would. It's not a good number. Does it mean that everyone has to give up bacon and, and meat? Well, not necessarily. Well, at least not for the colorectal cancer issue. For, you know, how we're going to stop global warming? Well, that's another story. All right, final couple items and follow-up of our talk with Seth Shostak on last week's program. Newsweek magazine, as it continues to circle the drain and go down, headed for the sewage treatment plant, had on their cover, In Search of Aliens, on their August 24th and 31st issue, adding the teaser, NASA's out there looking, and 20, NASA is out there looking, and 24 other surprising things you need to know. If you make the mistake, as I did, of buying the magazine, you'll find that there's an essay, it's all essays now in Newsweek, in the middle of the magazine that that goes for, uh, looks like about three columns, embellishing it with a photograph from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, if you see the newsstands, instead go for Science Illustrated, their article on Alien Earth. Talks about some of the same things that Seth Shostak did, and it's uh, quite good. And, uh, of course, fresh from the headlines, talking about exoplanets. They've now found two planets orbiting stars that are orbiting the wrong way in the opposite direction to the star's spin. Two weeks ago, we knew of none, and then bang, bang, they found two in a row. 
By the way, the tidal forces on those planets will mean that each will eventually crash into the star that they orbit. So, too, by the way, will uh, Neptune's moon Triton, which is going to create quite a bit of fireworks about 100,000 years in the future. Might want to mark that one on the calendar. But uh, let's close today's program with some tips from the onion. Since we are in an astronomical mode, we'll close with the onion's stargazing tips. I think we'll quote five of them. Actually, tip number one. According to The Onion, when contemplating the ineffable grandeur of the universe, nothing sets the mood quite like the airy, transcendent synthesizer sounds of Vangelis. Second tip. Though astronomy is a relatively safe hobby, keep in mind that stars are very, very hot and will burn for millions of years if left unattended. Third tip. When stargazing in South Florida, be sure to steer clear of territory controlled by Jack Horkheimer. Fourth tip. Remember, Galileo was an astronomer, and they threw his ass in the clink. Exercise caution. And final tip from The Onion. There's one star that's incredibly easy to find. You have to wait until daylight, though. All right, our thanks to Michael Bonna, film documentarian extraordinaire. We'll be back soon. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks, too, to Will Durst, and sorry about cutting you off, Will. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and we'll see you next week at the same time.